Welcome to another episode of Students Talk Security podcast series of the Notre Dame International Security Center. My name is Benjamin Earhart. I am a sophomore at the University of Notre Dame studying mechanical engineering, and I am also a current undergraduate fellow in the Notre Dame International Security Center's certificate program. I have the honor today of sitting down with a former professor of mine and a Naval ROTC instructor at the University of Notre Dame, Lieutenant Austin Chung of the United States Navy. Austin, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here, Ben. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for joining me. Today, we're going to be discussing a few topics, uh, particularly how the United States Navy and the military in general maintains alliances abroad uh, in the 21st century, using Austin's experiences abroad in Japan as some context. And also, we're going to be talking about the 2020 elections, which have, are already underway. Many Americans have already begun casting votes by mail or in person. And we want to talk specifically, not so much about the politics of the candidates, but rather civil discourse in general and how that plays out in the military. So that's today's discussion. And with that, we'll get started. Our first topic is building American alliances and how they promote security. So Austin, I wanted to focus specifically on your experience in Japan. For some context for the listeners, Austin was my instructor for my first year uh, Moreau, first year experience course at Notre Dame last year. And throughout that uh, course, I was able to interact with Austin, get to know a little bit more about his background and how he worked with the Navy. So I'm curious, Austin, first off, um, I was hoping that you could share a little bit about your experience with the Navy while stationed abroad for the, for the listener. Absolutely, Ben. Uh, and again, thanks so much for having me. Uh, so I graduated from Villanova University, a very similar organization and higher institution of higher learning uh, to Notre Dame. And I, I joined via the Naval Officers, Reserve Officers Training Corps there. And almost immediately, you get thrust into a position of leadership. Uh, I was on USS Chancellorsville, a cruiser located in San Diego, California. And immediately, you begin to grow professionally as well as personally. Over the past uh, seven, seven and eight years that I've been in the Navy, I've had the opportunity to be stationed in Japan twice. Uh, the first time with my first ship, uh, USS Chancellorsville, and the second time on board USS Ronald Reagan, which is the forward deploy aircraft carrier located at, in Japan, in Yokosuka, Japan, which is located about one hour south of Tokyo. Overall, the Navy has been an incredible experience. Uh, from the personal standpoint, it really helped me uh, become a more responsible person, uh, build leadership and management skills, and be able to be confident in making decisions and learning my trade. From the, from the uh, personal side, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, from the professional side, uh, it's given me a worldly experience. Uh, I've had the opportunity to uh, live overseas, to engage with the local uh, populace, uh, to travel to various different countries, many of whom which are our partners overseas and to learn things like maritime affairs, how to navigate the oceans on ships, how to run nuclear naval reactors that we have on board our naval vessels. So overall, living in Japan and being on board these vessels has been an incredibly rewarding experience. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I was wondering, based on your experiences, what are some of the things that the US Navy has done? Because from my understanding, the United States and Japan has, have been long been allies since the post-World War II era. And I'm curious to know from your experience, what kinds of things you saw um, that the US Navy 
did and continues to do to maintain that alliance with Japan and its other allies in the region in general. Absolutely. We can just look back to all of the historical examples of conflicts in the past where international alliances have been key to success and to victory. Specifically with Japan, following post-World War II, uh, we've maintained that close both political and military alliance with the country. From my level, uh, as, a, as a young junior officer, that really just includes the personal interactions and the emotional interactions you have with both the local Japanese uh, populace, as well as the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force, or the Japanese's uh, Navy. Through there, you'll have uh, many instances of building these alliances, including you know, exchange programs where Japanese naval officers will embark upon US Navy vessels, and we will send our officers over to there. So we can work together on developing partnerships just through experience and working with each other. Additionally, it's about being good stewards of the, the land. It's about being kind to the people who live there. It's about showing respect to their culture and how they, they're hosts of our military in their country. Uh, so a lot of training and time is dedicated to sending young men and women from the United States who join the military get sent over to bases in Asia, and time is spent training them how to be respectful, to understand culture that is very different from our own here in the United States. So overall, it's just about building working relationships and really understanding how we, we each other think based on our cultural differences and, and how, we, uh, how we fight together as a Navy. Specifically to that last point you made, uh, this, the second point on um, working together to promote security, what do you think is the greatest asset that working with the Japanese Navy brought to the U.S., continues to bring to the U.S. Navy, rather, um, in promoting American security? I will tell you that the Japanese, Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force is an incredibly powerful and capable uh, military force as a whole. Uh, similar to the United States, it's an all-volunteer force. And with that brings certain... Uh, advantages, specifically being that people are motivated to be there and they care about the prosperity of Japan and uh, their safety to its, to its people. Technologically, and as well as tactically, this is their homeland. This is their waters. This is how they understand the, the regional and uh, threats which uh, affects the potential security of Japan. And because of that, they are tactically very proficient uh, and excellent at their at their trade specifically with my relationship with the japanese japanese maritime self-defense force they are incredible mariners and their uh their their ships are incredibly capable so their technology their training and just their overall ability to execute operations is uh incredibly great on par with the united states if not better very interesting so kind of on a similar note then to what extent do you find that the U.S. Navy will share information with its allies in order to promote American interests? Because I know one of my personal passions in terms of security is the intelligence industry. And information is everything in terms of successfully ensuring American security. So what I mean by this question is, do you find, based on your experiences, that there was always a 100% system of full trust between America and Japan? Or was there always a certain degree of skepticism, just being cognizant of the fact that the American Navy is protecting American interests, which to some extent, it may be necessary to 
hide information from our allies to do so? Uh, that, that's a great question. And, and I'll preface my answer by essentially stating, you know, these, these opinions that I'm sharing with you today are, are purely of my own and based off of my experience that I've had over there. Uh, and to answer your question from my perspective, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things is a pretty uh, low level, uh, not the tactical level, not necessarily the strategic or operational, but we are 100% committed to our partnership uh, with Japan and our allies all around the world. Uh, we rely on them as they rely on us to maintain the overall security of both uh, their countries and ours. From a, from a technological standpoint, you can see that we often share many of our similar military technologies with our allies all around the world. The F-35 Lightning, the brand new uh, joint strike fighter from Lockheed Martin, uh, has been uh, developed and given to over a dozen countries, a dozen of our allies around the world, in order to promote more working relationships with our allies and understanding how our technologies integrate together. We can look at other uh, alliances that we have around the world, including NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, as well as Five Eyes, which is uh, a partnership between the United States, United Kingdom, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, where we share intelligence with each other, which is beneficial for maintaining the combined prosperity and the combined security of all the nations as a whole. We share a very similar relationship with our Asian allies over in the West Pacific, and we need to share those, ally, those alliances and those intelligence so that we can maintain uh, general security for, for both of our national security interests. I, I wouldn't believe that there's, at least from my level, uh, too much skepticism uh, in terms of capabilities or intelligence. Uh, I've never felt in my experience any sort of uh, untrustworthiness between any of the partners that I've operated with, uh, both during international exercises in the Western Pacific, as well as those in the South China Sea. Oh, good, good. One last, uh, second to last question here in this opening segment. How pivotal have you felt uh, that these alliances in the Pacific region have been in recent years promoting American security interests, specifically when it comes to addressing situations, as you mentioned, in the South China Sea, for example, with the rising strength of China, as well as the at times belligerent activities of North Korea. Uh, based on your experiences, how do you feel that these alliances, particularly with Japan, have helped uh, deter any potential conflicts with those nations in America? Uh, absolutely, Ben. I'll tell you right now, the, we are in great power competition, which is essentially uh, the rise of China and Russia, North Korea and Iran, and their rise on the maritime and global stage and how the United States as a whole needs to compete to maintain its influence and its uh, national security interests abroad. By maintaining these alliances, we can come together to uh, deter a lot of the potentially overreaching or illegal claims uh, that China or Russia may have in the regions. We often talk about uh, the security of the seas and the security of the strategic lines of communication which are the sea lanes which commerce uh, flows through and are good for the general economy, global economy, and the, the world. Essentially, we need these to keep the world functioning as a whole. And they're protected by the United Nations and the Convention's Law of the Sea. 
by maintaining these alliances with, uh, with Korea, with the Republic of Korea, with Japan, with many of our other allies in the South China Sea, uh, we're able to maintain presence and maintain influence in an effort to deter an, an ever-expanding uh, Chinese and Russian Navy, which is attempting to spread their influence as well. Uh, I'll tell you from, from our perspective, building these alliances are so key. Uh, every time the aircraft carrier, which is you know, the, the signal piece, the high value unit of our, of our Navy, enters a foreign port, uh, we're, we're always happy to have uh, many of the, uh, the high ranking military officers on board our vessel to essentially show that we're, we're partners in the region. Uh, during my time there alone, over the, the three years I was there, we had multiple multinational exercises with our peers in the region, uh, including exercise Talisman Saber with the Australian Navy, the Royal Australian Navy and ourselves, as well as exercise Keen Sword with the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force and exercises the Republic of Korea Navy as well. All these interactions together uh, are important in understanding how tactically we fit together as a fighting force and just demonstrates that we're committed to their interests as well as their, our interests in, in that region of the world. Hmm. One last question here in this opening segment before we move on to the second part of our discussion. What's the greatest lesson you've learned uh, from your experiences being stationed abroad with the United States Navy? That's, that's a great question. Um, one of the, the biggest lessons I, I've learned during my time in the Navy specifically, uh, and not related necessarily to you know, the micro leadership level of how, how I perform my job, but from the more operational level is that we're, we are a, a team out there and the ocean is a big place. Uh, we need to work together, whether it's with our own allies, with our own assets, whether they be uh, Navy, Marine Corps, or Air Force Army, we need to be able to work together as a team and we need to be able to integrate together as a team. Uh, there are many historical examples where when you haven't worked together, uh, it, the results haven't always been beneficial or the way we want them to go. So by working together as a team, building these alliances, that's how we maintain peace and peace through strength, uh, which was the motto of the USS Ronald Reagan and sort of a, a big component and part of our current national defense strategy. Very interesting. I find it uh, most noteworthy that you say the stress the importance of, quote, we need to work together. And that segues nicely into the second part of this discussion that I wanted to have with you, given the context of the 2020 general and presidential elections uh, in the United States. And for our listeners, again, as I previewed at the beginning in the introduction of this episode, my goal here isn't to focus on either the candidates or the policies, et cetera. Rather, I wanted to focus more on civil discourse in general in the military and how that sort of uh, dialogue can play out. Because Austin, as you just said, the US Navy is only successful when it works together. It, it, our alliances are only successful when we work together, just in general. It's a common practice that a team is only successful when they work together in cohesion. So I'm genuinely curious, based on your own experiences, to hear how often or how members of the military engage in civil discourse to ensure that they can both exercise their their First Amendment rights, the freedom to speech, to be able to uh, speak and uh, discuss these important issues that may affect their daily lives, but also continue to maintain positive relationships with each other to be 
a strong team that is a fighting force for peace in the world? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, you know, of course, you know, as a member of the military, you know, I, I'm unable to comment on any political matters. But I think really what you're asking is, uh, you know, how do we as an organization of people who do have a, a unique perspective to citizenship as members of our military, how do we work together during times when, you know, it may seem from the general population of the U.S. that there is an unrest of some kind? And, exactly. and I'll tell you that the American military as a whole, again, of all volunteer force, we all want to be here. We all want to serve our country. Uh, if we don't work together, we we won't we won't win. We won't pass. We won't we will not be effective at at our war fighting capabilities. So we're we're not blind to the challenges that America has. And in fact, the chief of naval operations, our the head of the navy. Uh, he specifically challenged all of us, the officer corps, the enlisted corps, every single man and woman who fights in our Navy to understand these civil discourses or correction, uh, understand these, these challenges that are facing America, well, whether it be uh, racism or you know, other sorts of violence which may occur uh, between them. So it's about having those conversations. Now it's it's for a long time been been shunned to sort of talk about anything that may appear political uh, in in the wardroom, which is the, the air, general area in which the officers uh, congregate. Um, but in my opinion, this is this is not political at all. This is about respecting human beings and about understanding that when we put the cloth of the nation on, uh, you know, our uniforms as a whole, uh, we fight together as one team. And I think that's a big part of the uniformity of the military uniform is that everyone is the same, regardless of the, the color of the skin or the, the social economic status or whichever um, other thing may make you different underneath the uniform, the uniform makes us all the same and we should respect that as a whole. It's very interesting, the idea of a uniform. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's great that you know, members of the military are, when it comes down to it, able to put, if they have differences, put those differences aside um, in regards to their politics, their personal beliefs to serve, one, you know, ultimately what we all attest to, which is our pride in our uh, citizenship um, as citizens of the United States. But of course, as we know, and as you pointed out, unfortunately, while many groups of people have been able to have engage in civil discourse during this election cycle, there have been several instances where that has not been the case. And I'm curious to know if you have any advice, drawing from your own experience, how do you think the average American can identify, or better yet, what do you think is the quote unquote uniform that the American people in general can draw on? Not necessarily something physical that they can point to and say that they share, but something, an ideal or a value. What do you think it is that Americans should really um, turn to and recognize in each other in order to engage in these discussions um, with civil discourse and with respect to ultimately continue to preserve the the United States as a nation. That's a that's a great question. I and I think I think essentially we just need to start with having a conversation, and I think that's you know that's very been very apparent over these past few months that we're beginning to understand and address these issues which face us as Americans. 
And similarly to why uh, Admiral Gilday, Chief of Naval Operations, challenged us with having these conversations to discuss with one another how we can make people feel included, make people feel uh, as if they're, they're part of the team, because they are, uh, because they, they swore an oath to defend the Constitution of the United States and to uh, join the military. And so I think a lot of what we do here at Notre Dame through the first years of studies, as, as you and I took together, uh, is just starting by having conversations. Let's not pretend like it doesn't exist. Uh, historically, the United States military has been a pioneer in uh, integration and uh, acceptance as a whole. Um, but that doesn't mean we're perfect and no one would be so naive to think that we are. Uh, but it's about having those conversations, continually working at them, addressing them every day and trying to make it so that, as I discussed before, we need to work together as a team within the skin of the ship, within our own Navy ourselves, so that we can work together with our partners around the world to maintain our national security interests. Thank you for sharing that. I will be honest, there have been moments during this episode where I've been harkened back to memories of uh, those 8 a.m. Monday mornings last year uh, together, having those conversations in our Moreau course. But to your point, yeah, I, I agree. I think recognizing that nobody's perfect and recognizing that we all have something to contribute and that we all have room to compromise and room to humble ourselves and to learn, I think that's, I think that's a great answer to the question of how Americans in general who may not um, understand or may not be able to engage in these conversations or how they can start, how they can start to have those and why they're important to have. So with that, that's all I've got for you, Austin. I wanna thank you for joining me today. Um, thank you for sharing a little bit of inside scoop on your experience with the Navy, your experience in Japan, as well as your thoughts on, from a member of the military, uh, a perspective on civil discourse and how important it is for us to engage in these conversations. And I want to remind our listeners that for more episodes of the Students Talk Security podcast series, you can follow NDISC on SoundCloud. Episodes are also available on Spotify and iTunes. Austin, it's been great catching up with you. Great talking to you more about this. I want to thank you. I want to thank our um, administrator, Anika Johnson, for organizing this discussion. And uh, thank you again for joining me, Austin. Thanks very much. If you'd like to follow the Notre Dame International Security Center seminar series, please visit our website at politicalscience.nd.edu forward slash ndisc forward slash or follow us on Twitter at hashtag nd underscore isc. Please note that opinions expressed in the seminar series are solely those of the participants or speakers, not of the International Security Center or the University of Notre Dame, which take no institutional position. Music for this podcast is licensed under SampleSwap.